Think Again with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio, 855am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to our 93rd program of Think Again. Think Again is presented to you by Borderlands Cooperative, an organisation that's been dedicated to social change for over 23 years. I'm Jennifer Burrell, and again, Jacques isn't joining us today, but he'll be back next week. Today, we are in good company, nevertheless, with Professor Jeremy Gans from the University of Melbourne, or the Melbourne Law School, to be more precise. Welcome to the program, Jeremy. Hello. It's great to have you on the program today. Jeremy's going to help us understand a legal decision about sexual assault. Lately, the news has been full of women's stories of being sexually assaulted and harassed, and there's been a lot of commentary about a dominant culture that creates and normalises this. The stories of sexual assault and harassment take place in a range of settings, such as university, um, the country fire authority, and of course, in federal politics at different levels. As, and we're hearing a lot about that uh, lately, of course. But are we surprised? Well, the majority of women aren't surprised and have they all have stories of their own. The March for Justice rallies on Monday really attest to this and that women have really had enough and want this to stop. So last year we had the Me Too movement, which happened in tandem with the pandemic, when thousands of women put their own stories of sexual assault and harassment in the public domain via social media. So it was strange to read about the verdict on the Craig McLaughlin decision in December at the end of that year of Me Too, and it was strange to hear the reasoning, especially the reasoning behind the not guilty verdict. So this really got me and other women I know puzzled and confused It appeared in the media uh, for one day um, that I saw, um, maybe a few other days, but it was one day in the age, and then it just seemed to disappear. So today we're going to drill down a bit and look at the Craig McLaughlin case because the legal system, as well as culture, is important when we look at sexual assault and mistreatment of women, of course. For people who don't know, to give a bit of background, Craig McLaughlin was charged with indecent assault, said to occur while starring in a stage production of The Rocky Horror Show. He was found not guilty. In her not guilty verdict, the magistrate said she accepted much of the evidence of the four women, but could not be convinced that that McLaughlin knew the women weren't consenting. So I'll just say that again. She could not be convinced that McLaughlin knew the women weren't consenting. In parts of her long long judgment, she said, quote, I am unable to exclude the possibility that an egotistical, self-entitled sense of humour led the accused to genuinely think that CC, one of the women, was consenting to his actions, unquote. And to give another similar quote. 
I cannot dismiss the reasonable possibility that in his egocentric state of mind, amongst some amount of adulation from sections of the cast and management, in combination with a lack of checks and balances on his lewd behaviour, that he was not aware of CA's lack of consent, unquote. So I know I was not the only one shocked by this reasoning for the not guilty verdict. How could a male sense of entitlement, entitlement to access to women's bodies, no less, form a defence relating to indecent assault? Isn't a sense of male entitlement part of the problem that we want to change rather than a defence? So today we're very fortunate to have Jeremy Gans, a professor in Melbourne Law School, on the program to help us understand his judgment. So firstly, Jeremy, can you explain what Craig McLaughlin was charged with and the legal process that was followed to decide on this? All right. Well, what Craig McLaughlin was accused of was what most ordinary people would think of as a form of sexual harassment. And harassment is some, something you can sue over in courts or talk to your employer about and seek money for. That's not what was happening in this particular case, though. Instead, he was being prosecuted by the government of Victoria, mm-hmm. uh, and the police in particular, for breaches of the criminal law. Uh, in particular, he was accused of the crime of indecent assault, which is mm-hmm. a crime where you touch someone without your consent. There's a sexual aspect to the to the touching and um, you were aware that they weren't consenting in some way. Mm. And there were seven incidents he was charged with, four on stage, three backstage, uh, and six of those seven incidents were, were said to be indecent assaults. It wasn't before a jury because it's a relatively minor set of offences. He wasn't charged with serious sexual offences such as rape. So it went instead before a magistrate. So there was no jury deciding this. Instead, it was one magistrate. Uh, On the other hand, she provided very lengthy reasons for her decision, which is something we usually don't get when a jury, say, convicts or acquits. Mm. Okay. Well, um, thanks for giving an overview of that, uh, Jeremy. I think the the law is a bit of a maze for most of us, so I do appreciate you unpicking what sort of law, what area of law we're working in as well. Um, So can you explain uh, the magistrate's decision, uh, what she had to take into account and her reasoning for the not guilty verdict? Right. Well, the the critical thing, because this is a criminal case, is she had to be sure beyond reasonable doubt of a couple of things. One is she had to be sure beyond reasonable doubt that the, the acts happened as described by the complainants. And in some of these incidents, she wasn't sure beyond reasonable doubt that the particular acts they described had happened. So for Mm. instance, he was accused of doing a stage kiss on stage, kissing someone on the lips, but doing something which wasn't in the script, which was uh, using his tongue. Mm-hmm. And the magistrate could not be sure beyond reasonable doubt that that had, second bit had happened. So some of the incidents, she just wasn't totally sure that it was the indecent acts that the prosecution said had happened. Mm-hmm. But for the rest of the acts, she was sure that those acts had happened. So, for instance... She did find that McLaughlin had straddled someone and kissed them on the neck, and that's clearly a a sexual act. But there she wasn't sure beyond reasonable doubt that he was either aware that they weren't consenting or aware that they might not have been consenting 
or didn't think about it. Instead, she thought there was a reasonable possibility he actually thought they were consenting, even though the magistrate accepted that he was wrong about that and they weren't consenting. Mm, so um, it sounds like, I think that's what's really confusing about the whole judgment because it sounds like the onus was put on the government, you say, um, was um, charging him. The onus was put on them to demonstrate that he was aware that the women weren't consenting. Is that right? That's how criminal law works. The The state is trying to put someone in prison or on a community service order or another form of criminal punishment, it's up to them to prove. Uh, and not just prove that it was likely a crime happened, they have to prove beyond reasonable doubt that a crime happened. So, yeah, that's right. That It's the state who has to prove everything. McLaughlin didn't have to even speak, let alone prove anything himself. Yeah. And... Um... I'm just wondering how how did the team uh, presenting the case on behalf of the women, I guess, how did how could they have proven or given evidence beyond a reasonable doubt that he was aware that they weren't consenting? How could have they have done that anyway? Well, you can't look into someone's head, but every one of us in all of our lives as humans, we're, we're very good at reading what's on other people's minds, not perfectly, but mm. none of us would get through a moment of our lives if we weren't pretty good at doing that. So effectively, the magistrate was asked to, to read McLaughlin's mind, um, but the prosecution didn't just rely on the word of the four complainants in this case, and they all testified about what they saw happening and and. Uh, suggested that it was clear enough that McLaughlin knew what was going on. Um, they also relied on other evidence about McLaughlin. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, the the magistrate was told that McLaughlin, uh, there was evidence that McLaughlin did this sort of thing of kissing people and hugging them or doing things on stage which they didn't necessarily consent to quite often. Uh, mm-hmm. And that both helped and hurt the prosecution. It made it much easier for the magistrate to believe the complainants when they said these things happened even when McLaughlin didn't admit them. So, for instance, McLaughlin uh, said he didn't recall climbing onto one of the complainants' laps and kissing her on the neck, although he conceded it could have happened. Mm. But it was the evidence that he did this sort of thing, uh, jokes or, or romantic moves or whatever, however he thought of them quite often. That made it easy to find that the complainants were, were telling the truth and what they said happened, happened. On the other hand... The fact that he did it so often was part of the magistrate's thinking that maybe it's possible he thought that everyone was okay with this and was consenting to it. So the fact that he was he was often acting in this way was also sort of part of his defence on the basis that if he was doing this without anyone's consent, he wouldn't have been doing it repeatedly in the way he had. Uh, that was the argument. I mean, this all happens against the backdrop of pretty unique workplace, both on stage where people are actually kissing and the like consensually as part of the show, and off stage where, at least according to some of the witnesses, there were lots of jokes that crossed all sorts of lines. Um, For instance, uh, uh, McLaughlin said he had a habit of giving people joke vampire kisses, um, that he, on stage, sometimes as part of the, the, the play would try to, to make someone laugh and break character by touching them. Um, and he also would told very um, line-crossing jokes with some of the people about things like their, their genitals, and that was also 
then something he relied on to say, explain why he thought there was consent to some of the, the things he was alleged to have done. Uh, mm. So it was, it was a very, it's a fairly unique um, environment, but as well the fact that McLaughlin, these weren't, McLaughlin admitted that these sorts of general things happened and that there was evidence of that, it both helped the prosecution and hurt the prosecution in this case. Mm, yeah, it's uh, a bit of a uh, sounds like a bit of a crazy tangle. But uh, we'll go to a we'll go to a break, uh, a music break, and then we'll come back to our discussion. Uh, we on that note, we'll go to some music. Uh, Do not go gentle by Andrea Keller. Thank you. 
You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, Melbourne's voice of dissent. 3CR Community Radio, 855 on the AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au or on 3CR Digital in Melbourne. You're listening to Think Again, 3CR 855 AM on your dial, 3CR Digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Today I'm talking with Professor Jeremy Gantz from the Melbourne Law School. Jeremy's helping us understand the not guilty verdict relating to the charge of indecent assault against Craig McLaughlin in December last year. So I think uh, just before the music break, Jeremy was explaining to us how part of Craig McLaughlin's defence was that he, you correct me if I'm wrong, Jeremy, I'm just trying to reword what you just said, but part of his defence was uh, it was it, he didn't understand there wasn't consent because it's the sort of thing that he did all the time. So it sounded sounds to me quite crazy as if if someone's doing something behaving badly all the time, that can be used as a justification for doing it in certain instances where you're getting the um, relation to the charge of indecent assault. And so in a way, wouldn't it be the case that someone who's acting behaving badly or doing the wrong thing or indecently assaulting all the time, isn't it a bit odd that, you know, um, hypothetically they could use that as a defence? So, yeah, look, usually if there's lots of evidence you've done lots of bad things all the time, that's really bad for you. Um, And it was bad for McLaughlin in the sense that it made it really easy for the court to say this crazy line-crossing harassment, really, that you're doing or alleged harassment is... Um, it probably happened the way that the complainants described. In fact, beyond reasonable mm-hmm. doubt, it probably happened mm-hmm. the way they described. The problem, though, um, as the magistrate saw it, was the line crossing he did was done in a context which he said, and some of the evidence agreed, was pretty playful and fun and consistent with that play culture that he was mm-hmm. within. So, for mm-hmm. instance, there was a whole thing apparently in the theatre community called corpsing, uh, a strange term, but what it, it apparently means is that you try to make someone break character on stage by by doing something which um, surprises them. Mm-hmm. And that can include what in any other setting everyone would regard as just ridiculous sexual touching. Um, so the fact that he kept doing it backed up his claim that this is the kind of thing which could be regarded and which there was a, at least opens it out that he regarded as normal in that particular context. It would be a different matter if he had done that sort of thing many times and had been disciplined for it, clearly told, you need to stop doing this, it's terrible. Instead, the evidence was that every now and then he would do it and and no one would complain for whatever reason, and we can all understand that that's not, there's lots of reasons, good Mm -hmm. and bad, people wouldn't complain. And in other times, he would do one of these things, he would kiss someone, say, and then stop immediately when he realised that it wasn't reciprocated. And mm. so the argument was that he was being, he was attentive to people's consent, albeit he was misreading things mm. and wasn't trying to be a repeated bad guy. And that counted in his favour, mm. given that the law at the time said that what counted was what he thought was going on, not what was actually going on. Yeah, and I think that part of what you're referring to there is what the magistrate 
stated as a lack of checks and balances in on his lewd behaviour. So she calls it lewd, which I thought was interesting. Um, but she also says that there was a lack of checks and balances, which m- m- might have given some reasonable doubt that he realised that the women weren't consenting. That's right. And those that lack of checks and balances, if they were established in another setting, would be really bad news for the the, the owner of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, who would uh, be in trouble for not adequately protecting the staff um, mm-hmm. by providing those checks and balances. But in this setting, the lack of checks and balances made it possible for for McLaughlin to say and Wallington to at least say, look, this is possible, that he really just didn't realise that what was happening was so unwanted or was, mm-hmm. was unwanted at all. Mm. We'll go to a brief promo now and we'll return to our discussion after that. Don't have a million dollars and still want to have a good education for your kid? Tune into the Dogs Program. We are the defenders of government schools. 12pm on Saturdays here on 3CR. 855 and AM Dial podcast streaming live on 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. We defend government schools because they need it. You're listening to Think Again, 3CR, 855 AM on your dial, 3CR Digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Today, Professor Jeremy Gantz from the Melbourne Law School is helping us understand the not guilty verdict for actor Craig McLaughlin last December in relation to the charge of indecent assault. So, Jeremy, you referred before the break, you referred to a change in law that Craig McLaughlin was, the uh, charges were being um, heard under. So can you explain that change in law a little bit? Yeah, sure. The, the, The... Alleged events against McLaughlin all happened in mid-2014. And a year after that, the law changed in Victoria on uh, serious sexual crimes like rape, but also the the less serious crime of indecent assault, which is actually now called the crime of uh, sexual assault. Mm -hmm. And the change to the law that mattered was that the previous rule that applied in McLaughlin's case or at the time of McLaughlin's alleged acts was all about what he was thinking. The prosecution either had to prove that he knew there was no consent or he was aware there might not be consent or they didn't think about consent either way. Mm. Uh, But if he had thought about it, then whether he was right or wrong, so long as he thought there was consent, he'd be not guilty. And that's what the magistrate found in in relation to a couple of those incidents. From mid-2015 onwards, Victoria joins the position in most of the rest of Australia, which is actually that the the prosecution could prove guilt in a different way. They could prove that he had no reasonable belief that the others were consenting. And that's not just a question about his mind. It's a question about whether he was acting reasonably and thinking reasonably. Mm. And the magistrate said it's possible that if that law change had been in place before before these events, then she might have made a different finding. Um, now, it's important to be cautious about that. If the law had had change had been in place, McLaughlin and his legal team would have made different arguments and raised different evidence, which they didn't have to in this case. But the point mm-hmm. she's making is that the, the concern you, you introduced this program with, which is um, uh, that his sense of entitlement was somehow a defence for him, mm-hmm. the point the magistrate made is actually since mid-2015 in Victoria, it's no longer a defence, it's actually the opposite. <laughs> a sense of mm-hmm. entitlement is something that incriminates you because it isn't reasonable. Well, that's and good there, news. Mm. Yeah, so there were a couple of incidents which she described. 
um, the one where he climbed on someone's lap. He thought that she was consenting, or there was a doubt about that, but the magistrate said on the evidence before her, that wouldn't have been a reasonable belief. And he also said that about uh, an on-stage incident where he he did this thing called corpsing. He tried to make someone laugh by touching someone on her inner thigh. He thought she was consenting, but again, the magistrate said that that may well have been a different thing if the requirement had been a reasonable belief rather than just an honest one. Mm. And, well, I guess we're coming to the end of the program soon. And just very quickly, uh, Jeremy, I wanted to ask you, should should women um, take any heart of the change of law? Do you think it will make a difference for charges like this in the future? Look, I'd love to say that it would. It's an issue that's been discussed for decades and Victoria was very late in making this change. But that being said, the other jurisdictions in Australia, the other states like New South Wales and, and some of the other states, they all changed the law a decade or even many decades ago. And I don't see any real evidence that's made an actual difference in these cases. And that's because the majority of cases aren't about was your belief reasonable or not. They're about what happened and often very sharply conflicting words about what happened. Mm. And as well, we don't really know what courts, juries or magistrates or whatever, what they will decide is a reasonable belief. And until that's sorted out, and that's a really changing idea and, and what's reasonable can change over time and mm. it can change the settings, until we know that, it's not clear to me that the difference is huge. I do think it makes a difference at the margins mm-hmm. um, on, on some very close cases, but I don't think these sorts of uh, changes in, in uh, the definition of indecent assault or even rape, um, really flow through to society in a big way. Yeah. A lot of those changes are nothing to do with the law, the changes we all hope will happen. And to the extent they are to do with the law, they're much more about questions of how you prove things mm-hmm. and how you define things. Yeah, well, thank you so much for that, Jeremy. Unfortunately, it's the time has gone too quickly. I'm sure we could talk for another easily another half hour about it. But I think um, that last response you gave really highlights the relationship between law and culture too because what's considered reasonable in society, of course, it's related to the culture of that society. They're not separate things, you know, law. So I think that's a, um, you've made some really interesting points and you've really probably cleared up a few mysteries for me and for us, but also maybe opened a few other mysteries, <laughs> which maybe we can talk about another time. So um, thank, anyway, thanks so much for coming on the program and uh for clearing up some matters around that really puzzling Craig McLaughlin decision. Well, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Mm. Uh, Now just to a brief community announcement. Uh, At Borderlands is having its annual general meeting on Friday, the 26th of March, 5pm for 5.30pm, like a wedding, 5 for 5.30pm at 30A Pickett Street, Footscray, and that's in the St. John, the new location that Borderlands is moving to at St. John's Anglican Church. Thanks for listening to Think Again on 3CR Community Radio today. If you want to send us a message or ask about anything from today's program, you can email Borderlands, that's borders at borderlands.org.au. Remember to put Think Again in the subject line. Our programs are available by podcast and the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au. Thanks also to Clive Bourne for technical production and for music selection. Meanwhile, 
Meanwhile, stay tuned for the following program, Jailbreak, which gives a voice to our brothers and sisters in prison. To bring us into this program, we have World Turning by Yothu Yindi. I've been looking for you. 